Coming up today on the Courier Daily. We had blood oranges, we had grapefruits, we had lemons in the tons. We had to call everybody in who could make it in and get them all in the, the production room. Juicing, packaging, we've frozen all the juice down. And a bit later on, how's the art market holding up? Seeing artwork in the flesh, seeing it beautifully presented, it's a feast for the senses. And online can't replicate that just yet. But with the advancement of technologies, which COVID-19 now is inevitably pushing, we will probably soon see virtual fairs. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 18th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners all over the world for almost two months now to hear how they're adapting and hopefully finding opportunities in the crisis. First up today, Robin Sims is co-founder of the small batch East London soda company Square Root. We caught up with Robin on our workshop podcast a while back, so I thought we'd check in with her again to see how the company's coping during the crisis. Here's Robin. Yes, yeah, so, so most of our, our usual customers are closed. The only source of income we had for a, a little while there was our online store, which I was so happy that we already had. So we weren't one of the, the producers that had to scrabble to put something up online. We already had a fully functioning store with its own packing system. We already had a contract with a courier. That was really, really helpful. So if you didn't have that, you would be properly screwed. Yeah, we'd have no way to sell like 150,000 bottles of drinks before they expire. So because that was the the thing that was really working for us or bringing in any kind of income, Ed and I, because all of the the rest of the team at Square Root have obviously been furloughed, it's just me and Ed working at the moment, but we have been throwing around ideas of things we could do to sort of make the online store more exciting and how could we launch a new product in lockdown. And it started to occur to us that hyper-localism was going to become a really important thing as more and more people look at supporting local businesses. I think they're going to be more concerned about the businesses that are closest to them. So we came up with the idea of a kind of milk float round, like milk delivery service, but how could we make it Fizzy Pop? So we've launched a product called Doorstep Fizzy Pop, which is basically our local weekly delivery round of little grab packs of uh, of our drinks. And you guys are delivering that, what, by truck, bicycle, you're on foot? We're working with Walton Forest Council. They have a an electric bicycle company that they sort of sponsor. So we're delivering it all by electric bike, which is kind of, it sort of ties into it being local because you can't really go nationwide on electric bicycles. Has this crisis even affected the way you see how you run your company fundamentally? I've been asking this to a lot of founders lately, but I mean, is this a momentary blip that you'll survive and you'll go back to business as usual? Or have you changed the way your company runs? You know, the business model itself, have you changed? So the business model is going to still be really great, freshly made sodas. I think what we're looking at working on now is sort of hitting up markets that are still active. So we always thought it was like a super smart move to focus solely on the on-trade. So we have no real retail customers, but those are obviously the places that are really busy right now. So I think our our focus over the next few months is going to be working on developing some kind of retail offer and seeing how that goes, because I don't think the industry is going to be the same on the other side of this. I mean, I've been following people like Brewdog and looking at what they're doing to reopen with social distancing and how feasible they think it's going to be to run as they were. Places are not going to be as busy as they were. If you can't have as many people in the door, then that's fundamentally going to affect how busy each of our current customers are going to be. So to survive, we almost have to look at a retail option. Robin Sims from the soda company Square Root. Next up, we talk art. 
ArtFinder is an online marketplace on a mission to make art accessible, affordable, and a viable career path for artists. It has 8,000 artists and galleries on its platform and half a million artworks. But during a crisis when art isn't exactly thought of as essential, sales on the site are actually increasing year on year. So what's going on? I caught up with the company's CEO, Michal Szczesny, to find out. Our sales have been increasing before COVID-19 has hit the news. This is a, a result of us continuously investing in uh, overhaul of our marketing channels, improvement of the platform, and continuous efforts to improve curation on the platform as well, art quality. So we've seen a dramatic improvement prior to COVID-19. When the crisis struck, we were obviously hit as many businesses initially for a short period of time. And then what happened was that a lot of the customers have returned. And we've seen a dramatic increase in numbers of customers, in numbers of artists that are trying to register on the platform, because obviously art fairs and art galleries have been shut. So it seems like ArtFinder is one of those places that is able to fill the void left by the COVID-19 closures. And um, we see this trend continue to this day. And our sales are still on trajectory to beat even the last month's record levels. Did that surprise you, though, even though this is your baby and, you know, this is what you dedicate your, your life to? Did it surprise you that in a pandemic, people are still spending their very valuable income on art? Absolutely. It is a surprise, but uh, not when you look at the trends that are happening in the economy elsewhere. So typically what has been the case, and there's a number of studies that has shown that anything to do with DIY, anything to do with homeworking, home decor, because people are spending much more time in their homes and knowing that they will be spending much more time in their homes for a foreseeable future, then suddenly some of these jobs that you had been postponing forever are being prioritized. So things like tidying things up or maybe making that um, you know corner of the room look nicer because you're gonna be looking at that corner of the room for the foreseeable future. You might not be able to leave the house that much. So that together with the fact that for a number of people who continue working from home, continue have that security, at the moment, they have access to more disposable income because they're not spending on restaurants or going out. And some of that income is being spent on those projects. Given ArtFinder's nature, we are not a high-end art site. We are not selling artwork for millions of dollars. We are talking to ordinary consumers, ordinary collectors. Of course, we do sell art that is you know, over $10,000 and above. But this is not our primary focus. Our primary focus is ordinary consumers, you know, collectors who value art for what it is, not necessarily for its investment value. We never brag on about the investment value behind artwork because it's speculative. It may or may not go up in value, and that's not how our sales channels work. It's all about transparency, openness, fair pricing, which is set by the artist. And therefore, in some ways, it is treated as an affordable luxury. How have artists in general full stop fared this crisis? And I know artist is a very broad term, but I mean, in general, what are some of the big trends in the art world affecting an artist right now who is trying to sell their work? I would definitely pinpoint the trend of moving everything online because of the physical fair closures, even the fairs themselves following cancellations are setting up online venues where people can discover the artwork that was meant to be displayed at the fair. The acceleration 
of the move online is inevitable. And uh, of course, online platforms will stand as big winners in this long term. What we do anticipate is that this trend will prevail and it will stay afterwards. This is probably because consumers are now discovering for the first time very often that actually buying a piece of art online is not that difficult, it's not that different. It's still a painting that arrives to your door and you still, when you open it, it does look much better in the flesh than than it does on any website. It's just a fact. We've been working on our platform for seven years. Uh, We have managed to prove the product market fit to a great degree with customer reviews you know at a phenomenal level and we see that customers are overwhelmed with the art quality when it does arrive on the much 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 high-end world of the art industry you know people who go to freeze and buy five million pound pieces of conceptual art or whatever is that all done for i mean you know will these fairs just not happen in the foreseeable future i think fairs obviously will struggle physical fairs will struggle but the clientele that goes to those fairs and the fair organizers will find ways of reaching those customers online and that's going to happen again inevitably what kind of success levels in terms of transferring the offline experience and offline customers to online what kind of level of success will they fare i have no idea this is something to be seen but what's the whole purpose of the physical fairs in general? I mean, obviously, I know it's a giant industry. Lots of people make money from it. You have caterers, you have venues, you have, you know, people who spend money in town, millions of dollars when they come into town. But I mean, besides all of the the fluff, what is the actual benefit of having, you know, thousands of people together under a tent looking at art besides the cocktails? Well, I guess it's worth pointing out that I'm not that kind of guy. I'm very much a techie. I came to Artfinder as a CTO uh, and I come from a small town with no art gallery or even a cinema. So for me, that world was always far away. And similarly to many consumers, I'm not necessarily excited by the idea of going to fairs which present works that I can't afford. But, you know, seeing artwork in the flesh, seeing it beautifully presented, it's a feast for the senses and online can't replicate that just yet. But with the advancement of technologies, which COVID-19 now is inevitably pushing, we will probably soon see virtual affairs. We haven't yet seen a, a takeoff of virtual reality or augmented reality in this world, but it is something that will happen as soon as consumers realize that they can actually enjoy this sort of experience from the comfort of their living room it might well change the reason why people meet and it may well be just for cocktails at those fairs. Who knows? You guys are crowdfunding right now, aren't you? That's right. We are, this has been our plan. We are a certified B Corporation. We certified last year and it means that the business is uh, independently verified as a socially and environmentally impactful business. And we've always been about helping artists and helping them make a viable career out of their passion out of their talent. So it is an honor for us to offer equity for our community in exchange for that support. And we plan to use those funds to grow the platform even further, improve it for our artists and improve it for our customers. And also in this day and age with VCs and funds retreating to pretty much exclusively protecting their own portfolio, it is very unlikely that we will be able to raise money anytime soon from external investors. That's why uh, reverting to your community, reverting to your customers, 
asking them for support comes naturally. We don't need that money desperately. It's not a um, cry for funds. It is, you know, mobilization of our own community, allowing them to co-own the platform and our future success. And at the same time, build that bond. Because if you think about how companies are run beyond today, increasingly, it will be about companies that are purpose-driven, mission-driven, values-driven, companies that are actually respectful towards their customers and suppliers and not just there for a quick buck. It seems like there is, though, quite a lot of competition online. I mean, you have a lot of new online auction sites in particular, you know, where you could buy even fractional ownership of pieces of art and stuff like that. There does seem to be a rise in these kind of startups, right? That's right. But I think the key question to ask is what kind of audiences those companies are targeting? Because fractional ownership of a super expensive piece that you never even see is as close to speculation in my mind as it gets. What's the guarantee that you actually own a share of it? It's, you know, I'm sure there are some mechanisms to guarantee that. But reality is, you know, in the future, in my view, it will be increasingly important for consumers to be more authentic, shop ethically. The trends that are have been somewhat started by people who want to exploit the nature of high end, the speculative nature of price inflation and you know shady deals behind the scenes that somehow managed to push the price of a particular artist or an artwork by millions overnight. It's just something that, you know, we are very much against. We are in favor of transparency in the market, clarity and authenticity. And I think that's a trend that we will see increasingly amongst consumers. And I think what's going to happen as well is there will be a big rebalancing of the art market. Because if you bring those ordinary artists that sell paintings for hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, and, you know, in terms of volume, consumers are shopping always for something for their home. Previously, they might not have thought of original art because it was typically outside of nor ordinary person's reach. Whereas with online advancements, with the fact that you can now buy it directly from the artist, maybe even bypassing a gallery, it is something that makes pricing more transparent, more affordable, and also helps artists directly because they keep a bigger share of the revenue. But that is fundamentally an earthquake, a titanic shift of the art industry because it's all built upon opaqueness. It's built on speculation and galleries and agents and like, I mean, I read this crazy deep dive in GQ the other week about this incredibly shady American art dealer in London and who's now uh, on the run from the law. But I mean, the portrait that it paints of the art world is just absolutely shocking. I think this is one of the reasons why I got into Art Finder in the first place is to help make it fairer, make it more transparent, make it democratize access to art rather than making it something that benefits very few people what we're doing at art finder we are trying to create a world where art benefits everyone and including the environment it's a very monstrous task um, we are doing our bit bit by bit but you know i personally i have never understood how that high-end spec full of speculation market operates what kind of mechanisms or regulations should be put in place in order to make it function better like any other market and this is exactly what puts off consumers when when you talk to ordinary people about you know art when i say to people i i run an art business people are all like whoa 
arts. Oh my gosh, this is like millions of dollars and, and full of speculation. But reality is, yeah, there is an art market that is in a traditional sense understood as, you know, for the rich. And there's a few beneficiaries there and, and, and few buyers because who can afford hundreds of millions of dollars spend on art? I mean, there are people who can, and it's a great way to maybe put some of your millions to freeze that in an asset. And hopefully over time, thanks to some sort of mechanisms that are uh, less understood, that asset might grow in value. You often have gallerists, you know, bidding on works of artists they represent just to drive the price up. And, you know, it's just you have all kinds of shady stuff like that. Absolutely. And it is one of the reasons why Artfinder does not offer auctions, because I think it is transparency and clarity of pricing and exactly how much money will artists take home is in our interest. You know, we want this to be fair and transparent. But on the other hand, if you think about as well the number of intermediaries that are taking advantage of the artist and also the flow of money, well, typically on the traditional art market, a lot of the money flows towards people who own estates or own those artworks, but the artist is long gone. The artist never benefits from further sales of that piece. So if you think about it, the new movement or the new era of art market, I believe, comes from buying direct from the artist that is here and is living. Yes, there will always be element of artwork retaining value, potentially even growing in value if the particular artist who has passed away maybe is um, appreciated more after they died. But I don't think it's okay for the art market to continue treating some of these artworks as just a way of making money because, you know, we should buy art because we love it. And that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And as always, sign up to our email newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of adapting and growing. And that's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. Courier Daily is back again tomorrow. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. We'll see you then.